Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 24 through 27. Excuse me, through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The following are actual responses from comment cards that were given to staff members at Bridger Wilderness Area in northwest Wyoming. There are seven of them. Please please stay with me. Again, comment cards from a wilderness area in northwest Wyoming. Card number one, trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. (laughs) Number two, too many bugs and leeches and spiders and spider webs. Please spray the wilderness to rid the areas of these pests. The next one reads, please pave the trails. We're upping the ante now. Please pave the trails. Chairlifts need to be in some places so that we can get to the wonderful views without having to hike to see them. The coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake. Please eradicate these annoying animals. A small deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. Is there any way I can be reimbursed? Please call. Escalators. I'm not making this up. Escalators would help on these steep uphill sections. And the last one reads, too many rocks are in the mountains. I I think these uh, comments and complaints certainly indicate that the people who made them did not understand what was meant by a wilderness experience. They were looking for something convenient and comfortable. They were not looking for a true wilderness experience. I think in a similar way when we drop that thought into the spiritual realm that there are a lot of people in our world today that don't understand what it means to be a true Christian, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I think those of us who are Christians also have to work to make sure that we have a full understanding of what that concept really entails. There are multitudes of people who follow Jesus, or at least they claim to be Christians, but they they want to do that just like those people who wrote the comment cards. They want to do that on, on their terms and not on his. They don't fully comprehend the, the full meaning and definition of, of discipleship. Let me begin by stating the obvious. Did you know that the word disciple appears 269 times in just the New Testament? While by contrast, the word Christian only appears three times. The probably the most noted of which it would be Acts chapter eleven twenty six. You know the passage in Antioch. The disciples were first called Christians. So let me ask the question this morning. We're going to get right to the personal application. How would you define your discipleship? How would you explain in just a few words your relationship? To the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you consider God to be a concept, a comfort, or a real conviction? And again, I don't want you to answer that out loud, but I do want you to answer that in your heart. Do you, do you believe that your faith is worth a change in lifestyle, that it's worth the kind of deep commitment that, 
that we just read about a moment ago from, from the Matthews passage. Do you have, I guess is what I'm asking, do you have a faith that's worth dying for? I know when those disciples in the first century world decided to follow Jesus, and as we have sung these beautiful songs this morning about that decision that we make in our modern world, but in the early church, those people recognized, or at least many of them did, that when they signed on to the Lord's army, it might well mean that they would die, literally die physically for our Lord. So I'm asking this morning, does Jesus mean enough that you would, that you would lay down your life for him if it came to that? Listen to the text one more time. It was read very well, but I want to go back and look at and emphasize some words, starting with verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Verse 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the, Lord, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Now think about the simple statement that the Lord made in that text. Let us deny ourselves, let's take up our cross, and let's follow him. There are three very apparent lessons about what it means to follow Jesus in that wonderful text. So you need to consider the cost of discipleship before you ever sign on. And I'm not saying that because I think it's a good idea, but because the Lord did, Luke chapter 14, verse 28, he said, you need to count the cost. And so you need to ask yourself the question, is the Lord a comfort to me or is he a true conviction? Am I willing to die for the cause of Christ? If not, then I need to recognize the shallowness of my relationship to God and I need to make that right. I'm suggesting this morning, in light of what Jesus said so long ago, that the three things that we need to do are to deny, then we need to die, and then we need to decide. And we can make that journey, if we do those three things, we can make the journey from being uh, 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 just a believer to being a real disciple. So let's begin with number one. First, Jesus said we need to deny. Notice the text. If we want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we must first deny ourselves. Look at the text again. If anyone, Jesus said, desires to come after me, let him deny himself. I know you know the passage. And I know that we've read it from this pulpit dozens of times, maybe hundreds of times. But oftentimes, those passages that are most familiar need to be looked at more closely. Please appreciate that this is a foundational issue. When the Lord was talking to those potential disciples and those who had already decided to follow Jesus, he recognized that in essence he was drawing a line in the sand and he was inviting slash daring them to step over that line. Are you willing to do what I'm asking you to do in order to be a true follower, a true disciple of mine? So a appreciate how how foundational this this issue really is in scripture and also in in our own christian lives and and we essentially have this choice in life to either live for ourselves or to deny ourselves i know that because the text says so we can either ignore the cross or we can make the conscious decision that we're going to take up the cross and bear it daily for the lord we can try to save our lives jesus said And if we do that, we will ultimately lose it, or we can lose our lives, we can consciously give our lives to the Lord, and ultimately we will find it. 
We can gain the world or we can forsake the world. We can lose our soul or we can keep our soul. That's how foundational and how absolutely fundamental and essential this issue really is. Now, I do know this. The greatest barrier to discovering all that God has for you and me is self. When Jesus said, deny yourself, he was really, really getting to the heart of where you and I live. This is the first place Jesus said that we need to look. The first place to blame is not our surroundings. Lord, you don't understand what I have to go through. It's not your environment. It's not your past. It's not your parents. It's not your spouse. Jesus says, if you're thinking about becoming a follower of me, the first place you need to look is at yourself. And what is it about self that's holding me back from pursuing God's will for my life? That's the question for application for each of us this morning. From following Jesus the way he has called us to follow him. And I don't mean just Sunday morning only Christians. I mean following him every day of the week, doing his will in every aspect of our lives. That's what's at stake. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Well, you know the world is all about self-esteem. The world is all about self-gratification. But Jesus told us to deny ourselves. If you've got your own Bible, I would encourage you to underline those words, to deny yourself. Now, you don't hear those words in our modern world, do you? I mean, you can watch television, you watch the news, you can read the news, you can listen to conversations on the street. You will not hear people talking about self-denial anymore. The idea of self-sacrifice, for giving my life up for a cause greater than myself, is not a topic of normal discussion in 2022. That's just the way it is. And that's why I think re-looking at this passage is so vitally important for us this morning. Jesus said, whoever desires to come after me must first deny himself. That's step number one. So denying yourself, by the way, denial in the Greek word As the old boy said, denial is not just a river in Egypt. Denial is a real word. And in the Greek, that word means to repudiate, to disdain, to disown, to to forfeit, or to totally disregard. That's interesting. Because that really gives depth to this concept. Jesus said, whoever desires to come after me must deny himself. And, And that's hard to do. It's hard for us to... To consciously each day disregard ourselves. And and one of the reasons for that is because we start each day by doing what? Regarding ourselves. We look in the mirror. We take personal inventory. Well, some of you didn't. But but most most of us, I'm not naming names. But but we really do. That's the way we began, isn't it? At least I hope before we get out and and, and meet the world, we look in in the mirror, we take a personal inventory, and we decide here's what needs to be corrected before I leave the house. And and, and if not, hopefully your wife or your husband will tell you that you need to regard those things before you leave home. And so what Jesus is saying to, to disregard ourselves, to disown ourselves, that's admittedly hard. Because the human life is all about regarding yourself, what you want, what you desire, where you want to go. Let's talk about what your goals for life are, what your aspirations are. And and all of that has to do with what Randy wants. 
It's all about regarding ourselves as we live our lives in this modern age. And and we're taught all of our lives. Don't forget that the first law of survival is what? Self-preservation. You've got to look out for number one. So that's kind of instilled in us from, from the time we're very small through our lives. And that just becomes a part of our DNA. But on the other hand, and thankfully there is another hand, denying yourself isn't about just walking around and saying, I'm such a bad person, I'm so terrible, I'm worthless, I am no good. We, we need to get that on straight too. That's not what denying yourself is all about. It is not putting yourself down constantly. It's all about saying, man, I may not be good, but let me tell you something, God is great. And if we can get to that point in our lives, then we've got somewhat of a grasp of what really denying ourselves is all about. So a proper view of self must always be made in view of our relationship to and our concept of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he means in our life and whether or not he really is that anchor point that all of us need and desire. So he cares for us. And that's hard to, that's hard to comprehend sometimes, isn't it? Especially in our sinful moments. No matter how bad you are, no matter how bad I am, He still cares for me. He still wants the best for me. He still wants my salvation. He still wants for me to spend eternity with him. And that's hard for me to comprehend when I realize in my darkest moments how far away from him that I can really be. And he died for you and me when we were still sinners, Romans 5, 8 says. And because of that, he sees the value and the worth and the potential that is in every single one of us. There is no one who's qualified to see the potential that is in you more so than the God of heaven, the father of all mercies. And even when you're bad, he sees those seeds of possibility. He sees the value and the worth and the potential and what we can and what we should become as we walk in his footsteps. And so we rejoice in this great God and we deny self but we give glory to God in in the exact same breath. I I hope that we're all squared away on that. So as we deny our own ability to save ourselves or to do anything in terms of earning salvation or deserving to go to heaven, if we're squared away on that part, in the same breath, we need to acknowledge that the one who does have that power is King Jesus. And that is a huge part of what following him is really all about. I don't have to tell you that our society is obsessed with self. My uh, generation has been called the me generation and for a reason. And that's because we as humans like to think that we're basically good. And we've all heard the expression, someone has said, well, you know, we're all basically good and we just need to learn to love each other and to accept each other and and everything would be okay. That is the I'm okay, you're okay philosophy. But guess what? The sad part is, it's not just society. That mindset, I think, has seeped into the church. Now, part of the issue, I think, here is that we have misconstrued what we're talking about in defining our terms. Everybody needs a healthy self-image. I understand that. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was the one who said that. So that's a healthy self-image. But I'm talking about a fixation on self. I'm talking about putting myself on the throne of my life and saying what Randy wants, and you're saying what you want is the ultimate sunum bonum 
of life. Whatever it is that I desire to do, that's what life should be about for me and for everybody that circles around my orbit. So this message of self-worth, it can easily pervade the church till we get to thinking, you know, well, I'm a pretty good old guy. And, and, and the Lord is, is, is lucky to have me on his side. And when I do that, folks, I have completely, listen to me, because I'm talking about me right now, you can go ahead and agree. I, I have completely fallen off the track of what it really means to follow Jesus. If my obsession, if my fixation, if my ultimate aspiration is on making sure that I've made me happy, and that I've done all the things that I aspire to do as I walk through this life. And yet I read scripture and Jesus says, want you, number one, to deny yourself. And I began to think, hey, perhaps I need to relook at the way I've been thinking about things. According to a survey in Business Week magazine, it said that the books that are selling most in Christian bookstores, notice I said in Christian bookstores today, are the touchy-feely ones that focus on self-esteem, self-fulfillment, and self-analysis. And while devotionals and missionary biographies are gathering dust on the shelves, and so do books that encourage self-sacrifice, nobody's buying those anymore. And that's because it's a, a subject we don't want to think about. I don't want to talk about self-sacrifice. I want to talk about me. In fact, isn't there a country song that basically has that as its refrain? That could easily be sung in a lot of places in our world today. One popular Christian author, I'm not going to give you his name for the same reason I mentioned last week. I don't want to give him any free publicity. He wrote, and I'm quoting now, saying that Christianity is an adventure of, listen to this, self-discovery that helps believers become aware of their own innate goodness, end quote. And so that's the philosophy and the mindset that we're trying to define right now because Jesus says being a real disciple is the opposite of that. Another one said that self-esteem is the greatest single need facing the human race today. Did you hear me, church? He actually put that in writing. The greatest single need in the world today is self-esteem. I would beg to differ. And I would say that Jesus Christ is the greatest single need that the, that the world needs today. Let the Bible speak. James 4, 8 reads like this. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. We sang that song earlier this morning. But Jesus was, was speaking through the pen of James to, to a beleaguered church that needed to hear that message. And so the message of the Bible is not there to just make us feel good about ourselves. It's there to make us realize how, how good God is and how compared to God, how, how really sinful we all are. I'm suggesting that when we can get to the point where we can fall on our knees at the feet of Jesus figuratively and say, I am, I am an unclean man. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live in a land of unclean people. When we get to the point where we recognize our own sinfulness and our own inability to save ourselves, then we can turn our eyes on Jesus and we can look forever more upon his face. So if you want to brag and boast, don't boast in yourself, boast in him. You boast in his name. 
You don't need self-esteem so much as you need some God esteem. And that's what our world needs right now. We need to esteem and honor God higher than ourselves is what Jesus is saying. And recognize that Christ didn't die for us because we're of such great value. Christ died for us because we're sinners and we simply cannot save ourselves. So step number one is to realize that you cannot experience this new life that God wants you to have unless you're ready and you're willing to give up your old life. He has a much better way than you and I have. And so when God says, hey, give up all that you have to get what I have, the answer is always yes. I mean, the answer is always yes. Quickly, Jesus then says, in addition to denying yourself, you need to die. That's what he meant by take up your cross. I want us to think about that for just a minute, if we may, this morning. Look at verse 24 one more time. He says there, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Jesus is really underscoring the importance of total commitment when he makes that statement and that, and that challenge to take up your cross. The cross in our day and age, I think, has lost a lot of its meaning, don't you? Most of us don't fully understand what the, the purpose of the cross was and what it still is. It's become kind of a symbol for so many people, a religious icon, a religious symbol, an ornate piece of jewelry that we may wear around our neck. But, but we need to know when we read this passage in particular that the real cross, the one Jesus died on, was an ugly, hated, reviled, and despised symbol. And it meant only one thing. It meant death. It was a symbol of torture. It was a symbol of execution. And you've heard it before. The modern equivalent might be an electric chair or a hangman's noose, but you won't see anybody wearing those around their neck, will you? It was a symbol of death. It was a symbol of shame. And so when a person carried his cross in the streets of Jerusalem, it was well known to everybody that saw that, that that man was about to die. There's a dead man walking. And the convicted criminal would be marched outside the city. He would be nailed to that cross and all that that entails. And then he would be set upon the roadside where everybody coming into the city and going out of the city could see what has happened to this criminal. And hopefully they would learn an object lesson. So, so why did Jesus use such a, a brutal illustration in telling people what discipleship entails? That doesn't sound like something that you would put in the recruiting brochure, does it? Jesus said, you need to take up your cross if you're really going to follow me. So he's using a radical, we need to go ahead and acknowledge, a radical symbol in order to get people's attention. But what does, what does the cross mean today? What does it mean to bear your cross? Well, oftentimes you'll hear people use that in an expression, talking about that's just my cross to bear. And maybe it's a mom who's having a bad day. And she will say that her children are her cross to bear. Which, by the way, how terrible is that? I mean, I guess they can suck the life out of you. But, I mean, come on, maybe, maybe the kids are saying the same thing about mom. She's our cross to bear. But we, we tend to identify whatever problem, whatever burden, whatever obstacle that we are facing at the moment as, as our cross to bear. Is, is that what Jesus meant? That's not what he meant in this text. The cross, once again, I, I know that you understand this, but I really need to hammer this point home. 
The cross only meant one thing, and that was dying. And here it means dying to self. For disciples, that means that wherever Jesus directs, we should be willing to go. What if it's not comfortable? What if it's not a good time for me? It doesn't matter. I need to be willing to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, to walk in his steps wherever he may go and wherever that may lead me. So no matter how scary, no matter how threatening, no matter how death-defying, we need to go when he calls us to go. Now remember the context of this statement that Jesus made here. It was right after, if you'll notice the chronology, it was right after Jesus announced his coming crucifixion and resurrection. He had just gotten through talking about that with his disciples. And, and you remember how that they had a real hard time wrapping their brains around the fact that Jesus was about to die and he was going to leave them. And you may remember that Peter even took a very authoritarian attitude and he tells Jesus, now listen, this horrible thing is not going to happen to you. There has got to be a better and easier way. So Peter got pretty adamant about it when he denied that that would ever happen to Jesus. But Jesus, he's taking the opportunity to show that we too, if we're real disciples, must take up our cross and follow him. And that means that we need to die to our own selfish ambitions, to our plans, to, to our pursuit of self-fulfillment, whatever that, that might be. And, and instead say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to go wherever you call me to go. I'm going to do whatever it is that you want me to do. No exceptions, no do-overs. Here am I, send me. And that's what Paul himself meant when he said in Galatians 2 verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. It's not I, but Christ now lives in me. I wonder as the University Church of Christ, if collectively we could say that this morning about ourselves. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So are we bearing the cross right now? Are you following Jesus? Are you walking in his footsteps? Have you denied yourself? And more than that, have you, have you died to yourself? Is your life founded on a rock-bottom commitment to do the will of God in every area, in every nook and cranny of your life? Which brings us to the final point. First, deny. Second, die. And then the Lord says, listen, if you've gotten past the first two steps, you've got a decision to make. The third point is to decide. And that's because the last thing he says to us in the text is, follow me. And that can admittedly be a very tough thing to do. I am not going to stand up here and put my preacher face on and say, hey, that's easy. It will be the best thing that you have ever decided to do. And you will never, I hope, have any regrets that you made that decision. I love telling people fresh out of the baptistry, you will not regret this decision. But the Lord also wanted us to understand that there is a price to be paid. And so we need to be able to, and willing to, to weigh the cost of discipleship before we make that momentous decision. But the decision simply must be made. And that can be tough to do. That's because it's a whole lot easier to just quit doing some things, to deny ourselves some things, than it is to make the conscious decision that I'm going to follow Jesus wherever he goes. You know, to some, it's, it's, it's almost like saying, you know, to lose weight, all you got to do is just give up sweets. Oh, is it really that simple and that easy? I, I don't think so. 
Over in Fort Benning, Georgia, just one state away, the combat infantry training school there, the motto for the unit is follow me. Soldiers are trained to follow their leaders and to follow orders. And in combat, they realize when they sign on that, that following orders may mean laying your life on the line. You may go away on some military campaign and you may be brought home in a body box. In combat, soldiers don't have any options when it comes down to the wire because they realize that the failure to follow orders equals the failure to accomplish the mission. And I think that's why Jesus included that when we're counting the cost of whether I want to be a disciple, a real disciple of Jesus Christ in my life. So that's what Jesus is teaching us. In the failure to follow Jesus and to obey his word and his will, it may mean that though we may escape some uncomfortable situations, if I decide I'm not going to follow him, I'm, that, that's just not a price I'm willing to pay. But to recognize that in making that decision, scores of others are going to suffer misery and death without the gospel, and they will forfeit eternal life with God in heaven if I make the decision because I'm going to be influencing everybody around me. When I make the decision, when you make the decision either for or against Jesus, you are in essence making a collective decision for a whole lot of people who are in the shadow of your influence. And this last point is so simple and yet it's so difficult for so many people. The simple decision is, will you follow Jesus or not? The old song says it best, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. It's so important, you've got to repeat it three times just in the singing of the song. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. So we have to make a decision that we're going to follow Jesus, no matter what may come. Absolutely nothing is going to get in the way of our goal of following Jesus, of deciding to follow him, which again, is so important. The cross before us, the world behind us, we die to ourselves. We're right back to steps one and two. Though none go with us, no matter who or what doesn't want us on that path, we're on it because God has called us to it. And we have decided to follow Jesus. Let me say it this way, in case we've missed the point. I'm almost through, so stay with me for just another couple of minutes. The simple decision to follow Jesus is the single most important choice that we could make in our lives. I can say that with absolute confidence. We must decide to be not just fair-weather friends, not just sunshine patriots, but true disciples to follow Jesus into the trenches and to be willing to die to ourselves and to die to this world around us. Because once you've been broken for your sin and humbled, and once you fall at the feet of Jesus and say, I'm a man of unclean lips, then, then you still need to make that decision, Jesus says, to follow him. And not, not just break some of your old bad habits. Sometimes I think that's the impression. Said another way, it's not enough just to deny and die. We've also got to decide. And that's because any life change, any life change worth experiencing always involves two equal parts. 
Listen carefully to the next statement because this is absolutely profound. You may want to write it down somewhere. Here are the two steps in any change in your life worth taking. And that is stop doing one thing and start doing something else. Do I need to repeat that? Stop doing one thing and start doing something else. That's homespun, but that's right, isn't it? You won't find those exact words in the Bible, but you will find that in any discussion of repentance throughout Scripture. Stop doing one thing and start doing something else. If you want to lose weight, stop eating cheeseburgers and go eat some salad and get some exercise. If you want to make some money, stop playing video games in your parents' basement and start applying for some jobs. If you want to find a girlfriend, stop wearing sweatpants and try dressing nice. You know, it's true of any area of our lives, isn't it? If you want real change and you've got to stop doing something, you've got to start doing something else that is constructive in its place. And it's also true, Jesus wants us to know, of being a disciple. It's not enough just to not do some bad things. You need to do the best things. And the best thing of all is to decide to follow Jesus. Now, one last quick linguistic lesson. I found out that in the Greek language, the word for follow me means to walk the same road. And that's important because this word is in the imperative mood, which means it is not an invitation. It is a command. It's not a request. It's a requirement. And it's also the verb is in the present tense. It's, it's commanding the beginning of an action and then the continuation of it. It's a linear action verb. So you start doing this and you don't just stop because you've accomplished it once. You don't just decide to follow Jesus long enough to get out of the baptistry. You then have to make that continuous decision every day of your life with every breath that you take that I'm going to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And when somebody gives their life to Christ, we say, hey, listen, you just made a big decision. But I hope that we also communicate to that good person that that is just the first of many decisions that they'll have to make for Jesus. And when that person becomes a child of God, we say, you just took a huge step. And they did. But it is just the first of many, many steps. Walking with God is about daily, habitually walking with him and taking one more step toward him with every decision that we make on a daily basis. Jesus said very clearly in Luke chapter 14 that anyone comes after me and does not forsake all... These are the words of Jesus, by the way, not Randy. Jesus said, anyone who comes after me and does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus is just saying that our love for him must be stronger than our love for anyone or anything else. And that's what we call you to this morning while we stand, while we sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back.